Yes, you are in. We have a treat for you, a testimony treat. We love results. So do you. As I like to say, easy to debate God, very, very hard to argue results. And Nick the Scribe is here. He's an original Fry dude. He now helps us boost Thursdude's PM, and he's active with gtsurf.org and our merging accountability tools and groups. And if you're ready to jump in, by the way, simply hit us up at the Contact Us page at frydudes.com. Now, if you want a world with more love and less addiction, a story of redemption, perfect. Here you go. Begging you, please, bear in my soul. All right, welcome back. Yes, you're in for a very special edition. I love testimonies. Most of you love testimonies because it's truth. It's it's someone's world and 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 the result of it. So I have Nick, who who have your Nick. You've earned a new nickname, Nick the Scribe. You know that, right? Yep, I've I've heard it a few times now. <laughs> Everyone, when you're fried you long enough, you know, so you get a you, you get a nickname, but it's a term of endearment, and a lot of it's actually usually inspired of something that was funny and or just a strength. And for the listener, just know, well, you're if you if you heard him a few weeks ago, you already know this guy has a gift for speaking, he has a gift for writing. Uh, he also has a kind of a wild roller coaster ride uh, that's led to this point of his life. Uh, I should say previously, right? It's it's been it's been more on the norm, would you say, for the last ten years, uh, Nick? Yeah, but uh, you know, kind of like you said, it's everything that happens along the way is what turns you into the person that you are. So without what I did, I wouldn't be here before you. Right on, most man. likely. <laughs> well, Nick, again, thank you very much for making it. We're gonna we're gonna dive into it a little bit. I and again for those, if you hadn't heard yet, I'd encourage you to back up. Back up a few episodes. You'll, if you like this, you're going to love what Nick has to say and his dogs have to say on this subject. So um, let's start there, Nick. What's what's your dog's name again? I have two dogs. I have Chewy and Solo. We're Chewy like and Solo. Star Wars family. So, yeah, we kind of went with that. <laughs> I love that, man. That's great. What kind of dogs are they? They're two purebred Shih Tzus. So little oh. tiny dogs. Right. Okay. Interesting. I was like, Nick, I was, I was position you as more of the lab guy or a golden retriever guy. But then again, I, yeah, those are, they don't shed. I know that. They're loving dogs, right? And they're protectors for you. We have uh, kids with allergies too. So they're uh, hypoallergenic. So that is, that was a key to the dog choice. There you go, listener, if you're wondering. That's that's why Nick the Scribe has two two uh, Shih Tzus. So Nick, you know, you and I met a long time ago in a restaurant, right? It feels like a long time ago. Um, and you immediately impressed upon me. You you are truly gifted with with speaking. You don't hold back. Uh, you're not shy. That's probably why you're here. Most people will not do this, right? But you have an important story to tell. Uh, and before we go there, I just, uh, we talked with the dogs a little bit though. I, I do know on a lighter front, um, baseball season's firing up. You have, you have quite a few kids, so you're keeping quite busy. I know that between doctor's visits, uh, baseball season's coming up and you do have a trip to Florida coming up, correct? 
That's correct. Baseball season starts for my oldest son on April 5th. So we got a home game here. We invited some family members to come and watch. And then on the 10th, we head for family vacation to relax and reset to work hard all year to do it again next year. And you are... You and your wife, Nick, are quite in demand. I, I know that. Um, I, I feel like, it's, I swear, I talked to him almost every week. There's been a doctor's visit somewhere. So anyone that's got kids and running around, you, you, yes, you have your hands full right now. But thank you again for covering out an hour for us here or so, or less, you know, to, to, to share some of your story. So, okay. Sorry, listener. Thank you for sticking with me on this. I just, just kind of get to know... A little bit more of Nick the Scribe before we get into the history part of it. So, you know, I, I am getting the poll. Nick, if you don't mind, what kind of childhood did you have, by the way? Did I don't even know that part of you. Um, you know, the, the, the parents, did, did you grow up in, in, in a tight-knit family? Did you grow up going to church? Why don't you, why don't, let's start with early early childhood to teen years here. What, what leads up to uh, the rest of your testimony? You know, we were... A pretty close family. I mean, my mom and dad worked opposite shifts pretty much my entire childhood with my mom working during the mornings and being home in the evenings and my dad working overnights. We were the typical family. We did family dinners. There was nothing that was really out of the ordinary. It was kind of almost picturesque. Like when you look at it, my mother was a librarian, so her focus was on education and you know, it was kind of nice to get, you know, to see a very warm family upbringing. My sister and her children lived very close to us, so we were always doing family dinners. I was the family, you know, babysitter for the younger kids, and, you know, it it worked out very well. You were groomed early for a lot of kids, weren't you? Yeah. Um, my sister was a manager. They worked all late night, so... I would sleep down with her kids and then I'd just wake up and go to school the next morning. So it was a nice way to make money before I could even work. What a saint. Um, all right. So did, uh, now, you know, I get, I can get pressing and prying, but it's just more excited. Sometimes the listeners, I just don't get an idea of what they're wondering, right. And what's going to lead up to this point we're going to talk about. So let me just get some facts out of the way. Did your parents, there was, they, they stayed married. Uh, so, I have actually never met my biological father. I was adopted by my father, but um, they married in 1989. So I was six years old. So he's the only father I know. So like as a family setting, the only family I remember is the family that raised me. Right on. And by the way, yeah, big difference is I know there's some listeners out there right now. Like, yeah, many don't know the biological dad, your dad. So your mom and your dad, right? Your, your they stayed together, not the biological yes. dad, your dad that you know that raised you. Yep. All right. So you grew up. You grew up in a. Sounds like a pretty stable home, Nick. Extremely stable. I mean, good role models, good everything. Okay. Now, as uh, the avid Friday listener knows, I we got a few tags themes. One is getting real and pursuing truth. We're a bunch of flawed dudes getting real and pursuing truth. We're all flawed. We all got issues. So sometimes part of this testimony, Nick, is when we want to educate the parents of children, for example, like you can have the most perfect or pretty solid household. You're still going to have issues, right? It's just, there's, there's things that are going to come uh, that, that, that you just don't see coming. 
And uh, there's going to be hardship. There's going to be challenges and, and where things are coming from. So I really appreciate you just getting out front and, and explain that a bit more. That just helps frame up for the listener. That's people have different journeys that lead to different outcomes. And then what are you going to do about it? Right? So, okay. And, and if there's anything that I'm missing, or you want to step back on, you let me know, but let's just now smash cut. When did you start to party? Like wh- when did that start kicking in for you? See, I got real curious at a young age. I I would say I was about 12 when I was already smoking cigarettes regularly and I started 12. smoking. Yeah, I was I was really young. I did come my mother was a smoker, so you know, it was something that oh, I had yeah. seen and the friend group that I fell into was kind of the friend group that you know, we would steal cigarettes from our parents, we'd go meet down by the river riding bikes around and then it kind of quickly shifted to all of a sudden we were buying bags of weed and buying How 13 soon? or 14. Okay, there it you was go. daily. 13 or 14 daily. Yeah. Weed smoker. Wow. Okay. Thank you, man. There we go. I told you, listener, he's not shy. He's just going to bring it. He's going to bring it up. I just. Sometimes it's going to sound a little blunt. I mean, when <laughs> I come right? up with an answer, it's just kind of. I like more, it. Because it's factual, it's easy just to throw it out. There. No reservations, man. Got, got to respect that. So, all right. So, early. And by the way, I listened to confession. I kind of started dabbling, not not the weed, but I was, I, I don't know why, man. I had an early fixation with smoking cigarettes and I was like I used to sneak them you know around that age now we're not too far after that right I even fashioned Nick um oh, this is news for some people listening like I, I fashioned a little pipe out of an acorn and then uh used like a little cocktail straw out of it that's I, there's something about smoking maybe more so for that generation now it's vape but I remember the appeal I don't know what I, I don't I don't know exactly what it was. My parents didn't smoke, but my grandparents did. So I don't. Anyway, sorry. Let's back on back on Nick the scribe. So twelve thirteen, dude. Though daily. So clearly, when you had your first hit, or shortly after that, you're like, I I would say to the, the, whether it's drugs, alcohol, whatever it is, whatever your vice is out there. It's like some people like it, but then some people love it. Right? It sounds like it you loved it. Exactly. Like you're like, this stuff is awesome. I mean, if you're doing it daily, or was it, or is it a, a, just more of a bird of a feather thing? Um, no, it was, it was my enhancer. Like I already loved doing everything. I loved watching sports. I loved playing sports, video games, stuff of that matter. And for me, it just, it enhanced everything that I did. And obviously, it's an unnecessary enhancement because all of those things are very enjoyable. But uh, it was just, you know, like I said, it was an enhancer, something that made everything seem way more cool. Hmm. That's interesting. So you're saying uh, it, it actually, it, it, or you felt it helped you? Like you were, you were, you were better at school or, or better at sports? It helped. It improved my focus. I mean, it was one of those things where, I mean, I could sit down, I would read a whole book and some people are like, oh, well, do you remember? I remembered everything I read. I mean, athletically, it didn't impair me. So it never seemed like a negative thing. That's interesting. I don't think I've quite heard that, right? But again, everyone's different in how they respond to things. I would just, I had always in my head, it's just, 
and by the way, I'm not, I'm not new to this either, listener. So, um, <laughs> devil experience, I just, it was just being stoned. Like, but I don't remember being able to focus at all. Um, but it was different for you, huh? You know, for some people, like my wife, for instance, if she were to take a medication, she gets all of the worst side effects. All right. Anything that can possibly happen. For me, I only get the positives to even prescription medications. I've never had anything that was like a negative reaction. So it's just like my body reacted well to anything I put in it. All right. Thank you for clarifying that. So, okay. 12. So in junior high middle school so 13 14 you turn daily huh like wait, yeah and i mean on top of that we were also stealing alcohol from my friends parents you know i mean okay it was, it was full a on. when 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 did you start moving up when was weed not enough or alcohol not enough or was that was that it so when i first started working in 1999 that kind of was one of those things where all of a sudden I started working with college kids. So then all of a sudden there was cocaine was a big one. Acid was a big one. And I mean, those were never things that really piqued me like, you know, smoking weed. That was, you know, daily. The other stuff that was intermittent usage at that time. Okay. For those who don't know, yeah, a restaurant, we're just more general fare, right? It's not all across the country, but, um, restaurant where it's it's known mainly for breakfast but it a lot of them are open 24 hours were you working the later shift i was working usually like 5 p.m to 3 a.m oh right. you were in the party zone yeah <laughs> i put myself right in the middle of it you saw some interesting characters come and go and you had some fun with them huh yeah i mean working the bar rush and being a 16 year old kid most people were really cool with me. You know, they thought it was awesome. Plus, besides, you know, when you're feeding people who are intoxicated, they like you even more. So yeah. it was easy to be kind of in the party scene at a young age. Did you actually do okay with tips uh, for, with that crowd? I would guess you'd get shorted, but you, you correct me. No. Um, as a matter of fact, I made more money when I was 16 than I average now. So 16-year-old wow. me was like You're rolling. I was about three hundred to four hundred dollars a Friday and a Saturday night, so Are I was making three hundred dollars between the two nights. Oh, it's better than than if you can tolerate the party the party monsters. It's actually better. Oh, generous yeah. tippers. I mean, and I mean back then too, it didn't matter. Like there were college girls that came in, and I mean they didn't know I was sixteen. So I mean it was learning money phone number it was like the life of a, a you know 16 year old boy's dream uh, i can that's that's wild okay that explains a few things so th certain things started getting introduced and accelerated huh so sounds like it's just a little bit of everything what when when do you feel like the wheel started coming off so um, my first marriage started to come undone in about 2005. Okay. So six uh, years was, later, you were how old then? So wait, you're 21. You're pretty young, man. You're still 21. Yeah. I was, um, when the divorce 2005, yeah, that would put me at 24. All right. All right. Gotcha. Oh, I'm sorry. You started in 99 as a 16-year-old, if I heard you right. Yeah. So, okay. 
So you I got do married. The math in my head too. I was like, wait a second, how old was I? Yep. Would you say then? You know, some people call that. And again, Nick, I warned you, right? Pump the brakes. You correct me. All right. It's, this is my ignorance it does come out. I am flawed. Um, would you call yourself a functional addict up to a certain point? Like you were able to keep the job and keep things pretty much above water for up to the beginning of the marriage at least, or what, 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 what say you? Up until I got the six month message that the house was getting foreclosed and all that point I was very functional, but then you know, everything started to spiral. I started to see paperwork for going to court for custody of kids. And then I kind of let alcohol grab a hold. My decision-making became more and more flawed as I went along. And then I kind of progressively allowed myself to spiral for about a year in that manner. That's a bold confession. So you were married. You partied the whole time, right? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. And then she had enough. It sounds like so she she left or she filed and but um and you still had the house or were you kicked out or how'd that work so we lived in a town where her parents actually lived like three blocks from us so all right one she day go. after early partying i came home she took the kids and left left me in the house and then within a couple of days, that's when the message about the house getting foreclosed came. And everything from that point on started to take a pretty quick drop. Did you stop working or did just more money go to the drugs and the party scene? Um, I had actually become a manager. I was making pretty decent money again there. And it was steady. But the partying, I mean, it was when you're part of the party scene, you have friends who also contribute to what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, not saying that they were the influences, but I mean, financially speaking, the entire burden of the party didn't just fall on me. So, Oh, you're, you're, you're spotting other people. Um, I had, you know, the people that I was hanging out with at that time who, I mean, I still see occasionally they were there before the really big drop off occurred. Right on. Okay. It's a bold confession, Nick. Again, I appreciate your uh, bravery on it. Not everyone can, can do something like this. So again, appreciate you. All right. So obviously it took over. Uh, you stopped paying bills. By the way, let me, let me parlay some of my dirt back in. I tell people I did a whole three prong puke fest on dangers of debt and spending, and I'm still a work in progress, but you know, when I started hearing from the mortgage company too, right? I tell people, it's like you, the Bible is clear. It says, if you're in debt, you're slave to the lender. And it may not feel like it, but you try missing a few payments and you'll find out real fast, won't you? Yeah, because late penalties are no joke. And you throw late penalties on top of bills you're already struggling to pay and it's a downward spiral. And it's there. a downward spiral. So again, I just encourage the listener, again, we share what works, we share what doesn't. And Debt is a slippery slope, um, and sometimes whether it's it, it, it it's addiction, maybe it's just job loss, you know, maybe it's war. I just things happen that can suddenly change your income stream, and if you're not ready for it, it's going to leave you upside down. So anyway, okay, brother. So you so now you got flags coming, right? Where most people, normal people, when you're not in the throes of addiction, would just say, "What's wrong with you?" You know, just just snap out of it. But obviously, you didn't. So it kept going. Like it, 
So you did lose the house and you did lose custody? So I did lose the house and the custody time that, because before we even got to court, she had kind of taken charge of everything. And because of the fact that I was having so many problems, I didn't exactly fight the way I should for a fair and even custody yeah. schedule at the time. Right. So I was seeing my kids every other weekend for maybe like just under 72 hours. So yeah. in two weeks time, not a lot of time spent with the kids. Didn't have uh, much ground, firm ground to stand upon. No. And my youngest was only three or four months old. So, I mean, it's hard for the dad when, you know, when mothers are breastfeeding, you know, the court won't even give you much time more than visitation until the child is capable of living without the mother's assistance. Right. Um, by the way, we're doing a live record and, uh, uh, they know this. We're not in like some luxurious uh, sound studio. I got the lawnmower outside. You're in Minnesota. I'm in California. So if the listener's wondering what's going on, I'm going to parlay that into it. People always think the grass is always greener. You still got to mow it. You still got to work at it, whatever you're doing. So we'll continue on here, Nick. Um, so, okay. We'll start coming off flags. Um, but that didn't stop for you. It, it, it kept going, right? I mean, let's 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 talk about the uh, some of the. We think those are those are dark days. It actually gets darker, doesn't it? Oh, the story gets a lot darker. You know, when a snowball rolls downhill, the snowball gets bigger and bigger until it finally stops. Right. So, why, why don't you carry the listener through? What, what, where, where do you go from here? What, what, what so, happened? I when I moved back into well, okay, so to kind of go. I moved back into my parents' house, which was kind of a big kick for me. Did not feel right at all after living alone since I was 16. So after seven Can years... Can you imagine being independent like that? That would be a humble pie moment for sure. When I moved back in with my parents, my brother and my nephew were going through some things with addiction that no one was really aware of at the time. It was kind of a behind-the-scenes thing that they, you know, were telling everyone everything was fine. And when you looked at the picture, the picture looked great. So we kind of all just went with it. But then it was probably just a couple months after that, um, I was approached by a friend with heroin, which was something I had never even pondered trying. And I mean, something that was definitely off my radar. It scared the hell out of me. But because I was just letting myself in a free fall i said yes i would say let me pause there nick for most people yeah that that, that definitely goes in the scary category however now i've listened to and heard enough people where uh it starts somewhere i was trying so you you loved it the first time right away or uh, what, yes what, and the scary part about heroin over anything else and i mean i've kind of smoothed over the fact that, you know, I was the partier. I had tried this, that, and a little bit of everything else. But from the first day that I used it, it was already hooked. Hmm. I mean, it dug its claws in and I was already, I mean, the next day I was, where do we get more? How much does it cost? What do we do? How much can we get? And I mean, it quickly turned to my brother and I were starting to use so much. Oh, you and your brother. We, I'm sorry I missed that part. Oh, yeah. I was living with my uh, my brother lived at my parents house at the time, too. So he was it was one of his friends that introduced and then him and I together kind of 
took it upon ourselves to start seeing larger quantities and selling off so that way we would be able to get what we used for free to kind of, you know, not as much to supplement the income as as much to supplement the addiction. All right. So, wow. Thank you, man. Again, another bold confession. So, anyway, there's more curiosity. Some listeners are wondering, but did, did you start as simple as snorting or did, was it shooting right away? Because that even makes it even a scarier level, I think, for some. But See, I actually only shot one time. Otherwise, uh, we were smokers, and that's kind of part of the smoking, addiction, too. Right. One thing that, you know, you come to find when you become an addict is you, you're not just an addict to the drug, but an addict to the methodology. Like, we would you know, smoke, make pictures and on the foil. Cause when you smoke it, it's not like you have a pipe or anything like that. It's something you do on foil with a straw. It, it seems like super foolish. Now when you're doing it, of course, it's like, Oh, that's what you do. But when you step back and look back, it's like, wow. Like it just, it seems disgusting, I guess is the way I would put it. I mean, as a former user, it makes a mess everywhere you go. You look, there's, traces of what you did and it it's never a clean pure thing thank you um yeah i i'm not shy of asking certain questions some might be unnecessary but i'm just a natural curious person so and i just also want people to know that yeah you don't have to shoot it to get hooked it can be as simple as uh, snorting and sniffing and obviously it's a powerful drug i, I always told my kids uh, it's probably a terrible anti-drug speech but i said the only reason you know what reason I never tried crack or meth is because I'm afraid I like it too much. Um, mm-hmm. There's just, I obviously, it clearly has an appeal. It clearly has an amazing effect. And even uh, going a little bit sideways, Nick, but stick with me, just the power of opium, right? So heroin, that's that's where that comes from, right? That's also, anyone's heard about opioids and the, the, epi, you know, the epidemic that's happening there. This is all based on the same stuff, correct? You, you correct me. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. And I mean, the opioid epidemic that we're in right now is extremely sad. I sit back and I look and, you know, there are some people out there who judge and I just I feel really sorry because it is so easy to fall into it. it I mean, yeah, a few pills step back a little ways from what I was saying before, before I even started doing it. I mean, I enjoyed taking, you know, Percocet or Vicodin. I was never like an addict. I never did it a whole lot, but it was something that I did enjoy doing. Oh, thank you for, thank you for uh, clarifying that too, Nick. Appreciate you. Um, again, yeah, this is what's happening. We turned it into such a, a innocent looking thing as a little pill, right? And uh, make no mistake that that is the demon behind it. That's feeling it. So, okay, brother. So obviously you're digging in that, that took over. Um, now what's, what's, what's the, what's the next low point? I mean, the next low point I would say is the whole process of going and buying and selling it. Uh, when we were go, we would go to a location in Minneapolis that we were told to go to. One of us would get out of the car and jump into a random stranger's vehicle who always had weapons, you know, it was always kind of a scary situation, exchanging thousands of dollars for Mm -hmm. thousands of dollars worth of drugs, and then getting out, walking down a city street, waiting to be picked back up again, just to go drive and find the person that was going to buy some from us. And it was 
a very dangerous cycle, but it seemed so exciting at the time. One of the biggest like parts of being addicted to it was not just the using it, but the buying it and the selling it. It was a whole process. Yeah. Wild. Uh, so it just seems like a scene from a movie or something. This is where my na- naivete kicks in. This is where a uh, poet for Guapo would kick me in the butt. But anyway, thank you, Nick, for just painting that. So, okay. When, when, when did it come to a screeching halt? Uh, what, what, how did that go down? I don't remember. All right. So leading up into the early months, it was probably January, 2012 we received court paperwork in the mail and it was for um, third degree narcotic sales and fifth degree narcotic you sales. You just got paperwork and in the mail? Were, you, didn't, you didn't get her formally arrested? No, not right away. Um, wow. I don't know if I've heard that before. So you got paperwork first. You knew something was coming. Yeah. So we went to the first appearance and we were released on our own recognizance and I mean, what that meant was that they let us go without having to pay any bail from our first appearance. And we were able to go about our business, but we had to submit to drug testing weekly. How did they know, Nick? And, I still don't wait back up here. I, and I'm, again, I'm not always the best listener. So how did they, how did they find out? How did you suddenly get paperwork? Did you actually get arrested? Um, a couple months down the road, we decided we were going to just forego going to the drug testing because we knew we were going to fail anyways. So then a warrant was issued for our arrest. All right. But how do they, they know to send the paperwork initially? Like, how, how did you even get on their radar? After we got arrested, we found out that one of the people that we were selling to, his girlfriend got arrested purchasing drugs from somebody else. Uh, and in exchange for her being released from jail, information. they had to give up their drug dealers. So they were confidential. That's reporters. how you got served the paperwork. Okay. And it's because we broke our own rule. Our number, we had a couple of set rules that we did in order just to keep us safe. And one was we never sold anything in Shakopee. That's where we were living at the time. And, you know, it's kind of one of those, you don't crap where you eat kind of thing. So mm. we made sure that generally we didn't, but since it was a friend of ours, we made an exception the one time. That was and it. that's all it took. All right. So now you probably consider this your worst day ever. But so, so you went, you went in, you, you were, you were in for how long? We were um, sentenced to 90 days, which was served 60. But I feel like the lowest possible point was we had actually just gone and we had picked up. And we were coming from Minneapolis back to Shakopee. And we had just pulled in front of my parents' house because I was going to go grab my work clothes to run to work. When all of a sudden, five squad cars. You had a job through all this. Oh, yeah. I was. Pretty much normal functioning. I mean, the one thing that any person who's addicted to heroin will tell you is that if you wake up in the morning and you don't have any, it, it's impossible to motivate yourself. It becomes a necessary part of your life just to do normal tasks. Became your coffee in a way. That's exactly it. Wow. That's wild to think about. All right, brother. So you went in, you weren't in forever. But here's here's the point. Here's here's we're we're, build, we're building to the crescendo now. So obviously the turning point, right? Um, did you say you stopped? When did when did you when was it like? Yeah, 
this is, I, I, I can't do this anymore. What, when, when, when was that flip, that switch flipped for you? April 12th, 2012, sitting in front of my parents' house with handcuffs on. Oh, that moment with um, the five squad cars. Okay. I mean, that kind of, I'd never had a gun drawn on me before that. And I mean, in, in one second, you see just shame. It, it was, I mean, I guess shame is the only way I can put it. It was one of the most hurtful feelings. And I mean, I saw my neighbors come outside watching. And I mean, I just sat there, tried not to look into anybody's eyes and it was more shame than I even knew what to do. Mm. What do you think, Nick, some people stop, but then some people still can't after something like that? You know, they say that 70 to 80% of people using heroin, if they only do like a outpatient visitation kind of treatment, that I think it was like 72 to 80% of people relapse. I mean, yeah. it's so hard to get away from it. But I think in my case, I had three kids. Yeah. And I guess one thing that I left out was the day that we got arrested was the day before I was supposed to have my son's birthday party at my house. So not only did I get arrested and mm. then the kids had to find out the hard way and then I missed his birthday party because of my poor choices. Wow. How old was he at the time? That would have been eight years old, his eighth wow. birthday. Wow. Definitely memorable. My Definitely memorable. Wow. Dude, so bold. So bold. You getting real, man. Sharing truth and the flaws. Okay, so you went. You basically went cold turkey. Did you, did you do any? Did you have to do any? Um, did you do any groups? Any addiction groups or you know anything like the Teen Challenge or Minnesota Adult Challenge? Anything like that? What, what was there anything else that helped you along? So, I mean, my brother and I were um, arrested together, obviously, and actually for a duration of the time that we were in jail, we were self. So we had the two of us together kind of trying to boost each other up. And he got way more sick than I did upon entering because he had been using for longer than I had. I was sick. I mean, it was one of the most unimaginable pains of my life. So when we got kind of halfway through everything, we found out exactly what our sentence was. And we kind of just sat there. And once we started being able to, walk normal. I mean, we couldn't even walk normal our bodies were just wrecked the amount of pain and sickness that we went through for the first two weeks was unimaginable and because of our choices we did it in jail with no assistance no medication so we had to just go cold turkey wow so you- that was one of those things that kind of just sat there but then when we excuse me when we got out oh, please. there were things like my mom um, her health had been poor for years leading up to it. And like, I think one of the things that hurt the most beyond the kid hurting the kids was hurting my mom, seeing the disappointment. Mm-hmm. She came to visit my brother and I every. All right. So well, Nick had a, a bit of audio issue there where we're back. So your mom, having to see your mom, your mom, seeing your two sons, uh, it's not often that happens together, but, uh, 
so you, you said it was painful, painful to see your mom and the disappointment on her face and on your dad's face. Yeah, that it, I don't even think I have words that can describe exactly how much that hurt. So, I mean, once we got out, my brother and I kind of already had it set in our minds that we were going to make positive changes. We had decided we weren't going back to using again, and we had relied on each other for accountability. That's when, you know, we got out, and part of the release was that we had to enter into a treatment program. And a majority of the treatment programs you find are Mm faith-based. And that was kind of the beginning of my little soiree into finally putting faith and belief into someone above myself. All right. Cool. So, you know, listeners like, okay, we are probably wondering where we're getting to this point, but there you go. So, again, I I say it's, it's easy to debate God, but it's really hard to argue results. And that's actually this part of this path, too, that led you and me. Uh, I believe God just intersecting our paths, right? So, okay, what part of that, what part of that appealed to you? Like, where, where was it connecting to you? Um, what, start, what started making sense? I spent my entire youth believing that the only thing I had to have faith in was myself. Mm-hmm. And that put a lot of pressure on myself to be perfect and to do the right things and make the right choices. But that kind of leaves out the fact that, you know, some things you can't explain, some things you can't help. And, I mean, sometimes you need to be able to have faith in something that is higher than yourself. And I think just the thought process behind it, I kind of sat by myself and I didn't have someone like I have with you now where if I have these questions, I can bounce it off. So I just kind of lightly started relating things to that. Right on. Man, that's such a huge statement you made there earlier. Um. I do think there's too much pressure. I guess if you don't believe in a God, then you are making yourself a God, right? And then trying to live up the standards of whether you're, you made your parent a God or whomever. I, I, I'm, I'm wondering, I'm curious to get your take as you I have a few kids. You definitely have multiple kids. So I'm wondering if that's part of it where these kids, a lot of these kids are so darn depressed or kind of lost because um, – they feel like they got to do it all on their own instead of leaning on a higher power. What say you? I think that because a lot of people put a negative stigma on being religious because of the judgment factor. And I mean, we've discussed previously when you watch people and you know, they tell you, well, you can't do this. God wouldn't like it. Well, sometimes you got to learn and God is sitting there watching. And I feel like, it's one of those things where we're going to make decisions. We're going to make choices and we can't walk the same path as everybody else. Cause if you do, then there's nothing different about life. Mm. Oh man. Okay. Here we go. We're rolling now. I, 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 you know, I, I don't, again, have a listener knows I have no problem picking on the church at times. Jesus picked on the church at times, at least the religious, I'll just say the religious at the time getting too caught up in rules and not enough into love and loving others. Um, so that can have both ways. So you can have someone who doesn't have God at all. Then they make themselves a God or they make others gods who eventually let them down. And that leads to disillusionment. Then you also have your, your churches that do a tremendous damage when they become too much into law and rule. And, um, uh, then you just feel like you're being judged. Um, 
instead of uh, knowing that everyone is flawed, Romans 3.23, everyone makes mistake, even the pastor. So that's a slippery slope, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, one of the things that kind of came out the best for me was when I was talking to just one of the random people that I met while I was in treatment, and they said that the real healing will begin once you forgive yourself and you find the faith. Because if you keep blaming yourself or holding it against yourself, it's going to be a lot harder for you to rise above the problems that you encountered. Wow, that's interesting, man. That's deep. So you started getting involved with that. Uh, and, okay, so let's not make light of this, dude. So it's 10 years. You're, you said it. And this is what, this is what spurred on this, this interview. we got to get this down. I said, Nick, the scribe, like, we got to get this down because it's three weeks or so ago. You just mentioned that your anniversary is coming up 10 years, right? Yep. On April 12th. It's just kind of crazy because I kind of didn't let myself become – overly proud of the fact because I had looked at so many different case studies and you look at like, you know, the five years, I was really proud when I hit five years, but I was kind of like holding off on like the way I feel now. I feel a tremendous sense of pride in the fact that it's approaching 10 years. And I, I mean, I know that every year and every day that you go is supposed to be taken. I shouldn't be taken lightly because of the fact that it is an accomplishment, but I just, I had this thing set in my head that, you know, at 10 years, I can finally kind of sit back and look and just view everything I've done. So it's kind of why having this conversation with you is so nice because it kind of lets me sit back and look back at what's gone on along the way. Well, praise be to God. It definitely worth something we're celebrating, brother. Um, that's amazing. And I just, I know there's listeners right now that either they're, they're gripped in addiction or they know someone that is. And they're depressed, and they think there's no way out. So I, now that you healthy and content and talk to me right now and sharing your story for good, I just want to also encourage the listener to know that you can go from that darkest moment. And now, brother, you're in a man. You're you're you're. I think you're in a beautiful place. I mean, you have you have kids, you have a home again, you have a beautiful wife. Um, now, maybe just you know, name names, but just maybe just expand. You're you're blessed, dude. You you have rallied big time from those darkest days. So, well done. I, anything else you want to Thank say you, on John. that? Well, yeah, I was just gonna say everything after the fact. You know, I told you that that was when kind of the belief in God and trying to find faith in something else. From that point on, the amount of wonderful things that have happened in my life started happening happening quickly. It was within five months after that that Nikki and I began talking, you know, more so in terms of leading towards a relationship. And, you know, we were getting our kids together for play dates and I mean everything wonderful that I have in life started there. And I mean, Nikki became my largest supporter. She took me from when I was in my lowest point and she was there right next to me and she saw every up and down and we did it together. I mean, that's one of the best parts of this is just knowing that, I mean, I had her by my side and on a very amusing note, my brother also met his current or his wife at the exact same time. Wow. We married the women that were there by our sides. And I mean, Nikki, when we first started, you know, seeing each other, I was still living in my parents' basement 
my car didn't run. I was just working. I was walking to work every day and it became, you know, she was there and she cheered along every step of the way, every thing we did. We, like I said, we did it together. That's, I mean, even you saw it at Savage. If she took a day off, I worked for her and I worked, I took you guys on Friday. Yeah. And it was from, you know, all of a sudden getting a working car, um, working better hours. And then all of a sudden we had moved in together and Savage and our families melded together wonderfully. And I got two bonus wonderful children out of the deal. And then we had another child after that. I mean, it was just blessing after blessing. And there was tumultuous stuff along the way, but nothing that was ever awful nothing ever felt so bad again i appreciate you saying that yeah it's like in but yes you are blessed you've had and you're in so much of a better place but also it's not always perfect we talked about the doctor's visits and hardship and and there it's still this is why we train our souls right this is why we're doing what we're doing right now just tuning in just being real letting people life can be hard but let's study what works right let's let's celebrate what works and Lord knows we have an addiction issue in this country. Lord knows we have a homelessness issue in this country. And uh, as much as we just think we can solve it um, with all government money, it, but let's at least recognize what does work. So my brother, we're getting close to the end of this. Um, and there'll be more of you, by the way, listener, if you love hearing Nick describe, you can back up a few episodes here. You're going to hear him again. There will be more coming from him on all a variety of subjects. But any final just talking points and observations. I'm just thinking the person is really hurting or maybe they're sharing this with someone that's hurting that needs that turning point or is working on that turning point. They're walking to work right now or they're like, is this thing's ever going to get better? Any f- final words of encouragement um, and you know, just advice for them? You know, it's just, even though at one point we thought we hit rock bottom, it should don't let it surprise you if you find another low before you start going up like some people are like well it just keeps getting worse don't let that part get to you look for the positives i mean it Mm. it's not impossible to make positive choices and to make a positive change even when everything looks like it's at its worst like you said you i mean from what you see now it's hard to even imagine the guy who was living in his parents' basement and running around selling drugs. And it, I mean, 10 years made the entire difference. Mm. Brother, I love you. I'm so thankful for you. Thank you for the uh, courage and boldness and bravery to do this. It might inspire someone else to step up here and do the same. And you will have an opportunity, my brother, whether it's a follow-up to this and some additional words of wisdom, or it might be a different subject. Uh, the door is open, Nick the scribe. Appreciate you and thank you very much. Oh man, I love you and I appreciate you too, man. It's it's great just getting to talk to you and you know just to bounce ideas off of you or even thoughts. I mean, I'm still very new on my faith journey. Even ten years in, I feel like I'm still a rookie. So I appreciate you too. Uh, that's kind of you to say. Iron sharpens iron. There's always room for improvement. But thank you, brother. Stay tuned.